Hi, everybody. It's Rock and John. Now hear this.
Well, you can't tell by the way I use my walk. I'm a woman's man, no time to talk. Music loud and when warm, I've been kicked around since I was born. It's alright, it's okay. Never the other way. We can try to understand the New York Times effect. Whether you're a brother or whether you're a mother, you're staying alive, staying alive. Feel the city breaking and everybody's shaking. We're staying alive, staying Yeah. <laughs> 
tried to take the stars from the sky And she rides, and she rides And she rides like a real beginner And she rides, and she rides And she rides And she rides, and she rides And she rides like a real beginner And she rides, and she rides, and she
things that I often forget is that Bruce Springsteen is a music lover. And so when he was in Australia, if he would play in an Australian town that had a band that had helped put that town on the map, he would play a song from that band. And I can't remember what town it was that the Bee Gees came from, but Springsteen's version of Staying Alive was obviously done with great care, great love, and a lot of extra players, and I think it's a real winner and a great way to start, Mm -hmm. that's for sure. The second song uh, was Two Trains, uh, an old Little Feet song. Uh, Here, it's uh, from Lowell George, visionary leader of the old Little Feet, his only solo album called Thanks, I'll Eat It Here, and he remade, remade the song Two Trains, really remade it. It's a completely different arrangement, a completely different tempo, different feel, and I gotta tell you, I really like it. It's kind of herky-jerky, but in its own way, when you get used to it, it swings. What do you have to say? I don't think it's that far from Little Feet. I think that it is a go-slow-bump-in-the-night kind of song where things are chugging along and little pieces interact really well with each other in a rhythmic and melodic way. So I, I found that the song had a great feel to it, but I didn't find it to be the antithesis of Little Feet. Oh, no, I don't, I don't think that. The thing about Lil George's solo album was, although there were some Little Feet players on it, and it's very clear, it was really much more of a produced album. Um, from what I understand, the label Warner Brothers Records had been trying to get Lil to do a solo album for quite a long time. And he'd been working on it over a few years. It's also a very short album. He, he was allowed to use all the production uh, elements of the 70s he could. Horns, background singers. And he did it, and he did it well. In it, but it really ended up sounding more like The Meters than, you know, Christopher Cross or whatever Warner Brothers was looking for at the time based on what they were having hits with. Well, it's really the one for me, and that could just be because I've heard it so much. But then again, I've heard Little Feet do it a whole bunch of different ways through the years. Well, I think this is great. I, this, to me, I thought it was the opening track on the album because yeah. it had that hello, I'm here, let's go kind of groove going. And apparently it's not. No, no. Mm-hmm. The, the opening song is, uh, uh, what do you want the girl to do? Alan Toussaint. Alan Toussaint. Right. And yeah, this is great. Okay. Why don't we move on to Rango? Rango 2 from Wolfpack is just a sweet little instrumental. I feel, again, that rhythmically it's loping along. It's not a fast thing. Mm-hmm. You listen to parts, they interact. I mean, that's why we played it, is because I think it sounded good after the Lowell George cut. It's good music. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's a 
a well-written instrumental. The thing about Wolfpack is everything breathes. It really sounds like people playing together in a room because that's probably what it was. Yeah, it, it was. You know? And I mean, if you see any of their videos on YouTube, if you see all their videos on YouTube, they're always playing in a room in their studio, you know, with whoever is guesting. I, I love the fact that it's, you know, a, a base of three or four guys and a million people coming and going as guest artists. And it's great. I mean, I really love Wolfpack, as do you. And this comes off of uh, one of their more recent albums called Thrill of the Arts. And the next song was called She Rides, and it is the Eric Clapton song, Let It Rain, that we all know and love, with totally different vocals. So obviously, and totally different lyrics. Totally the same melody. I'm not sure if it's the same backing track or not. I it, think it's the same backing yeah, track I think it with is. different lyrics. Completely different lyrics. And this, it was mixed by Delaney Bramlett, whereas the rest of the album as it was released was produced by Delaney, but mixed by other people. And uh, so it's very interesting on this Eric Clapton, the, the eponymously titled first solo album, that when they put out Deluxe Edition, which was two discs, I believe, they included the uh, Delaney mix. He, he had mixed the full album, and this is part of it. It's just it's a surprise because it's called She Rides, not Let It Rain. And the funny thing is, is when, we were, when John picked this song and wanted it, I didn't know what he was talking about, <laughs> even though I had it. I was like, what are you talking about? And you go, it's Let It Rain, but it's under a different time. And I just didn't. And of course, you were right. But it was it's a great thing. You know the song, but no, you don't. <laughs> the last song we played was Vegetables, the stereo version, for those who care, uh, by the Beach Boys from Smiley Smile. And it was a leftover from Smile, which never got released. Uh, Vegetables is one of these songs that's very interesting in that the only instrument being played is a bass guitar. The rest is done with singing, but more importantly, with crunching of vegetables. The song is about vegetables, as you know, you know. And uh, just a quick little side thing is uh, Paul McCartney appears on it somewhere. I think it might be crunching celery. I'm not sure. But I love the idea that somebody wrote a song just about vegetables. It is silly. It is dopey. It is confection. It is so sweet. You got to listen to the whole thing and you got to enjoy it. And it's humor. And Brian Wilson was very into humor. Hence, Smiley Smile. Here we go. In the next segment we're going to play for you, first song is Love is Strange, the Paul McCartney and Wings version from the first Wings album called Wildlife. And this is one of those songs, it's the old Ian and Sylvia song, done kind of pseudo-English rock star reggae, but boy does it have a groove, and boy does it sound good. And it's one of those songs that I've come to notice people really like like you know you'll it'll show up on the radio or on the you know on my in the car on the ipod and people always respond to it and the weird thing is you know here we are almost 50 years away from when that album was released and like it's younger people that like it and that's what really kills me if i were a movie producer in hollywood i'd definitely use this song somewhere there are places for it and then i'd watch it become contagious and other music producers how about we put it in the movie Dirty Dancing. <laughs> I don't know about that. No, that's where Ian and Sylvia's original. Oh, oh is it? Is that yeah, where it showed yeah, up? Yeah. Um, the, uh, the next song is by The Meters, The Funky Meters, The Meters, and you picked this. Yeah, one. The Sissy Strut. So often I highlight what's happening with the guitar, but in this particular song, I'd like you to listen to the drum track. And just sort of let your shoulders sway and enjoy the groove. This is an instrumental that musicians play over and over and over again. It's like Green Onions. And what I think makes this song in particular 
is the drums. And then we go back to Lowell George and his solo album, Thanks I'll Eat It Here, for a second song, a second dip. And he does a, uh, to me, the definitive version of Ricky Lee Jones's Easy Money, which was found on her debut album. I just think this is fantastic. This is where uh, Lowell pulls out the stops, uses the horns, uses the background singers, and yet keeps it breathing and funky. His singing on this is just, it's, it's unparalleled. It's a delight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, 
There was a Joe. He was leaning on her back door, couple chills. With her eyes on a couple bills, I was stating. They were waiting to get your hands on some easy money. Yeah. So they flipped it down. One said, I'll take heads this time. One step up, one step back, one loosen the shoulder strap. She couldn't speak, her knees got weak. She could almost taste that easy money. Yes, there was an old black cat, and he was sitting in an old black Cadillac. And this Joe smelled sweet, so she curled up at her four brown feet. She said, I got a plan. Listen to Sam, how's it like to make some easy money? He said, oh yeah, oh yeah, just tell me what you want me to do. She said, oh baby, you can trust me. The boy come up the room and play with my toys. Jill said to bait, she wasn't gonna sit around and wait. But this guy got wise to the lie. He flies out the door without his money. Yeah, yeah, good. Ain't no man who got a money in his hand who got it into that bed. Being slow in the head, the easier it looks, the harder it looks. Well, it ain't no such thing as easy money. Looking for some easy money. Oh, easy money. Easy money. Easy money. We're going to do a one-song segment because this song deserves a place on its own. It is Marvin Gaye doing What's Going On, the original vocal track with the original bass track by James Jamerson and these two musicians singing and playing together unparalleled, as is the song. There's far too many of you dying 
Now, here's a piece of an interview I did with Todd Rundgren where he talks about his early days discovering music. I was never really interested in pop music as a musical entity until the Beatles. And actually, when the Beatles first came out, you know, I really liked some of their songs, but in addition to that, it was the mystique, I think. Or a lot of it was the mystique that went along with it. It was my teen years, and things weren't great for me, you know, so I figured this was, you know, an escape, certainly. And the first rec- first pop records that I actually bought were Beatle records. Meet the Beatles, or...? The second Beatles album, as a matter of fact. The first Beatles album I really liked. Is that introducing the Beatles or Meet the Beatles? That was called the Beatles' second album. That was the first one I bought. I went back and bought the other ones afterwards. Right. I 
friend of mine bought me the Beatles, so right. I didn't have to buy that right. here at his house. But that was the impetus to start a band, something like that. At the time, we were doing like, you know, doing that, but like doing like folk rock at the same time. You know, folk rock was still sort of a big thing. Was there ever a thought that you wouldn't do something in music? I mean, was there a thought that this is the way to go and I'll make money and live, or this is fun and, and you never thought about money? I never thought that I would make be able to make a living in music until I got out of high school. Through high school, I had sort of like, you know, a local band, me and his friend mm -hmm. put together a thing. And actually, by the time we got to the end of high school, we weren't playing so much Beatles music, but sort of blues music, a la... Paul Butterfield? Paul Butterfield, Sonny Boy Williamson, mm -hmm. Howlin' Wolf, things like that. A little bit of Muddy Waters. When I got out of that, I got into some other, you know, a little more esoteric things like Junior Wells and... Uh, and it wasn't actually until I was out of high school and playing in a band that the uh, Blues Breakers album got released in this country. Mm -hmm. Did you take to that kind of playing? That, uh, oh yeah, immediately. You know, possessed that guitar I, playing. Yeah, that's when I got possessed. I got suicidal about guitar playing at that point. I mean, I'd gotten into it by the end of high school mm -hmm. because I realized it was the only thing that I recognizably excelled at. Mm -hmm. you know? And when I graduated from high school, I couldn't do anything else. You know, I was, I was positive I wasn't going to school anymore. You know, I had enough trouble graduating from school. I just thought the whole system was bogus. This is in Philadelphia or somewhere? Yeah, it's outside of Philadelphia. Suburban. Yeah. Did you grow up with both parents? Yeah. Was it like, well, oh my in, God. in a sense, you know, like by the time I was 16 or 17, I wasn't living at home anymore. I couldn't stand it. I mean, you know, like I didn't get along with my parents at all. And as a matter of fact, for the last year or so that I lived at home, my father and I never even spoke to each other, associated with each other. We had that much animosity. Animosity. So you didn't worry. You were you were out of high school, and it didn't matter what happened next. Just you just. No. Well, it was kind of a different time then. You know, it was that was the it was 1966, and everything was kind of young, hip, and in. You know, I'd already been hanging around, sort of. You know, the uh, bohemian scene in Philadelphia. So I almost immediately got into a band, almost within weeks of you know, graduating from high school. I left home the day I graduated. The day I graduated was the day I turned 18, and the day I registered for the draft, and the day I left home. You know, it was a bit, that was a big day for yeah. me. Yeah. And I just, you know, I didn't say anything, just left. Knew I, everybody knew I was leaving when I was 18, because then they wouldn't be legally responsible for anything, which was the only thing they cared about at the time. We segue from John's interview with Todd into a version of Todd's great song called Just One Victory. It was originally on A Wizard, A True Star, which was his album after the great big Something Anything album, which had uh, Hello, It's Me, and I Saw the Light. Anyway, Just One Victory is one of those songs that Todd has recorded a million times live with Utopia, different versions, different tempos. And recently, Todd did a tour where he did the entire A Wizard, A True Star album, which is quite something because I think there are 30 songs on it. They're all snippets and it's like an hour long album. Anyway, he did the whole thing live. And through his website only, I was able to get a uh, video and a CD of A Wizard, A True Star Live. And this Just One Victory happens to be on it. John was looking for a version to include in NHT, and he decided that this was the best version he'd heard, and he'd heard a lot of them. And you know what? I don't know if I can concur, because I think you've heard more than I have, but it's pretty darn good, and it's pretty darn accessible, and even more so for a live recording. It sounds really good, and it's right there in the pocket. Just one victory. Great message, great lyric, 
great performance. And Todd closes every one of his shows with this song.
I have to admit, I've never been a huge Queen fan. I had the records. I heard the hits. But I never put them on myself. And then one day... When Live Aid hit television, I went, holy smokes, these guys are great. And this performance is fantastic. And it's even more fantastic because it's coming through with television as opposed to being there live or hearing it from a studio yeah, recording. Yeah, never released officially, I don't Not officially, but boy, were they great at Live Aid. And this is a performance uh, that really wasn't used too much at all in the Bohemian Rhapsody movie, so I thought I wanted to share that. Yeah, and the thing about the the Queen's Live Aid performance is, my understanding is they'd kind of been off the road taking a hiatus, and they got together just to do this and thought they were kind of rusty, but went on stage. I remember John and I had just started working together when Live Aid happened. I think I'd been working at Cherry Lane for six months. And I remember going into your office the Monday after Live Aid, and you just raving about this performance, which I don't remember if I saw it then or not. But anyway, you were just going crazy, saying what you said now. You're like, I've never been a big Queen fan, but this was crazy good. Crazy little thing called love good. I mean, since forever, John's been saying this. Happy to share it, because you'll be happy when you hear it. I have no doubt about that. Thank you for coming along and making this a great occasion.
my cross. You brought me fame and fortune and everything that goes with it. I thank you all. But it's been a bed of roses. that is a not so well-known uh, song by The Who. It came off their, well, their then final album in 1982 called It's Hard when they did their, I guess you would call it their first farewell tour. <laughs> anyway, it's called Cry If You Want. It's the last song on It's Hard, which was the, uh, the second and last album that featured uh, Kenny Jones on drums from The Faces after Keith Moon had died. It's got that old who energy i mean it's a good song when, like john said good message good lyrics and at the end of it pete townsend just cuts loose on the guitar just hitting chords so i would say about halfway through i would start listening just for the, the guitar to come in it comes in like a buzz saw yeah, he's and ripping he slashes <laughs> he's ripping i also like this song because i'm a big fan of any tune that uses a drum figure as a hook yeah, there's that that martial, uh, or what what would you call military it? military drums. type drums? Yeah. yeah, great great song. And then you came up with a great idea to uh, end the show. Well, you know, it just sounded as a good segue. Buddy Miles on his Them Changes album does the song Dreams, the Almond Brothers song Dreams. Brothers. And what you got here is a great boogaloo drums, soulful vocals, jazz rock horn charts, very much of the era of that time. And uh, Buddy Miles deserves more than being a footnote in a Jimi Hendrix book or movie. Get away with the things you say today. 
Before John signs off, we want to ask you 
to give us some feedback. Go to the website, www.nhtmusic.com, and give us some feedback. We have a feedback section. We've got a really good uh, blog section. And we'd like some interaction. We'd like to, uh, we want to know what you want to hear. We want to know your criticisms. We want to know the things you like. We want to know what you're talking about. Yeah, we want to know what you're talking about. (laughs) And on that note. That's what we're talking about.